1: Independent Melbourne Radio 3 R. You're on Triple R listening to Backstory. My name's Rochelle McHugh filling in for Mel. All right. I am thrilled now to welcome over the phone an award-winning author and editor, founder of a feminist literary organisation, co-host of the Margin Notes podcast and widely published savant, Zoya Patel. She's going to talk about the 2021 Stella Prize shortlist. Welcome, Stella. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for uh, being on the line. So, Stella um, had its inception at a readings bookstore. I love that. I'm curious to know how all of that unfolded.
0: Well, I can't take um, much credit for the founding of Stella. That happened a long time before my involvement. I've been the chair of the judging panel this year, and I was lucky to be on the uh, judging panel last year as well. But yes, the wonderful women who came together to found this incredible prize did that years before my involvement. So I can't take you right back to that seminal moment of, um, of its beginning, unfortunately.
1: It's all right. I think it's, um, it's a fabulous notion anyway. And look, it's, it's been a number of months uh, now in Australian politics, in the media and across our streets where gender inequalities are under the microscope. How important is literature in calling out and informing such critical gender discourse?
0: I think it's absolutely critical. And I think one thing that we've really reflected on in this last period of time where, as you said, politically uh, it's been a really heightened sense of awareness around sexual assault um, and gender inequality and perhaps not as um, you know, triggering of action as we might have liked, um, but we've definitely seen that these issues continue to occur across generations and across um, all elements of our society. So art is often a reflection of what those key... Um, most important topics are that are unfolding in the public sphere, and I think that's definitely something you can see across the Stoma Prize long list and the shortlist as well, but there are some recurring themes around gender equality that keep coming up.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And women have been underrepresented in in a plethora of ways for a very long time. I sometimes wonder, you know, if we're our own worst enemy or if we're caught in, as you say, a sort of systemic cycle of, of even self-neglect, or indeed if the two feed off each other. Um, how important is the Stella Prize in advocating and ensuring female rights and stories and a sense of identity are valued and listened to?
0: I think the prize is immensely important. I think going to your first point, I, the kind of onus on the individual to be more confident and kind of put themselves forward is something that can't occur in a back end. So, you know, having women's voices and stories ignored or dismissed or not given the same um, power and relevance in the public sphere over so long does mean that there's a, you know ongoing effect then on women's confidence um, and our ability to kind of step forward into that public space. So the Stella being a space that's specific specifically for women and non-binary writers is really important because it's not just about inclusivity; it's actually saying, you know, your work is valid um, and important and should be recognised uh, with a prize that's dedicated to women women's stories and women's voices. The other interesting thing is, I think since the launch of the Stella in two thousand and thirteen. We've seen that conversation around diversity and representation in the literary world extend to other prizes as well. So I think the Stella really has kind of triggered this conversation that's made a really big difference to the way that other big literary prizes are judged, um, and the kind of importance of diversity and intersectionality in that process.
1: Absolutely. And the Stella Prize, it um, it recognises the literary merit of of books, as you say, by Australian women both fiction and non-fiction. Simone de Beauvoir, she's a famed feminist icon and and French intellectual. She wrote three memoirs that were debased by the critics as biography with no literary merit and a a criticism she wailed against her entire career. Clearly now such, you know, reductive and arbitrary distinctions are blurred. How, um, How important has it been for the eradication of such, you know, rigidity to allow the true female voice to be heard unencumbered?
0: It's so interesting that you use that example of Samantha de Beaufort because part of what that uh, says is that the notion that women's stories are not important has actually seen um, the priority given to different kinds of literature has impacted that throughout ages. So even when we think about things like the um, slur of lit, which is basically books that are commercial and written for a, a large majority of women readers, that's just another way of kind of trivializing the interests of women and the lives of women and the writing of women. And we see that, um, you know, across the board when it comes to this kind of high art, low art divide. I think the Stella and Prizes Like It um, are really important in shifting that cultural perception and kind of destigmatizing the um, relevance and the universality of women's stories in their own voice. And I also think that memoir has really um, come onto the public's space in a more um, reckoning way in the past decade or so, and I say this as a memoir writer myself, mm. there's still an a impulse, I think, in the kind of old literary elite to dismiss memoir, particularly women's memoir, as being um, too introspective or not kind of relevant or urgent enough, but at the same time, we're seeing books um, that are written through that memoir lens that touch on bigger issues really making a big impact um, politically as well and I think um, one example of that in this year's shortlist is Witness by Louise Milligan, which obviously looks at a really big topic around the way that our justice system treats witnesses in criminal cases, Um, but a lot of it is also written about her own experiences and told through the lens of her, um, her journalistic experience and having to be a witness herself, and that I found really, really compelling because that personal story is so important to make that broader political point.
1: Yeah, and it's, um, you know, that empathy and, and that intelligence is an organic experience of women, so I love that too. Um, the, the 2021 Stella Prize, you saw over 160 entries this year. For me, that's massive, trying to, you know, fathom reading through them. Can you talk to me about what went on in the award, um, you know, deliberations? How did you reach a decision in selecting a long list and then a short list and, and a soon-to-be-announced finalist?
0: Yes, it is a huge amount of books, you're not wrong. (laughs) I think that's um, an overwhelming number to anyone, no matter how much you read. And I am a voracious reader, um, but it is definitely a really monumental task. Um, It's fantastic being able to share the judging panel with other really fantastic readers. So this year, um, alongside myself, we had um, Tamara Zimmett, Ian C., Elizabeth McCarthy, and Jane Harris. So that was really, really helpful, um, having all those different voices and perspectives uh, drawing into it, and basically, you know, it's a tough, uh, it's a really tough call, but we kept coming back to the stellar criteria of a work that's original, excellent, and engaging, and once you actually, you know, start drilling into that in a really um, detailed way, you're able to look at these works somewhat objectively, which is hard because the experience of reading literature is so subjective. So, you know, from that 160, there were probably about 40 that were in contention for the long list um, that we then had a really long discussion around to whittle it down to the 12 that made it to the long list. And then it was a similarly robust and long conversation to get it down to the six um, that are on the short list. But I think what's really rewarding is that it's always better to feel like you have too many excellent books um, and, you know, and to have that be a really rigorous process um, than for it to be, um a you know death of of X1c which I don't think was ever seen in Australian literature.
1: No, it's fantastic isn't it It's absolutely brilliant. So um last week, the short list, as you say, of the six novels, it was announced. From these novels, mm-hmm. were there any unexpected themes emerging? You've touched on this a little after the year that has been or did, or did the impacts of the pandemic sort of feature quite heavily?
0: What's really interesting is because this is the 2021 prize, these books were books that were published in 2020, which means that they were actually written quite a a long time before that point, because if you think of the publishing cycle, it takes um, up to 18 months for a book to actually go from um, a final manuscript draft all the way to publication. So they weren't written during the pandemic or with the pandemic as a context. What's interesting about that is that one of the shortlisted titles, which is Laura Jean McKay's The Animals in That Country, is in fact a pandemic book, but it's not about COVID. Um, It's about a different type of pandemic where the people who are infected find that they can speak to or understand animals. So it was so fascinating to see that theme come through, even though, um, you know, Laura couldn't possibly have known what was coming around the corner um, for the world with the global pandemic. I think next year's prize will have a lot of um, COVID-related themes coming through, surely.
1: More than likely, you've um, you've mentioned uh, just then the animals in that country. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the um, some of the other books that have been shortlisted this year? Tell us a little bit about yeah, the, um, the yeah the titles and the authors.
0: Sure. So um, as I mentioned, Laura Jane McKay with the animals in that country. This is a really fascinating novel. Um, it has been quite highly awarded um, across the literary uh, scene this year, and I think because it really speaks to something quite universal in humans, which is our connection to animals um, and our environment and how that actually pans out in the context of the world today. So um, it's also very tasty and gripping. Um, So it's one of those reads that you kind of pick up and you don't want to put down. Uh, Another novel that's been shortlisted is by S.L. Lim, and it's called Revenge, Murder in Three Parts. This book really took me by surprise. Um, It's kind of like a psychological thriller mixed with a, um, a really deep treatise on gender inequality, So it follows um, a young woman all the way through to her adulthood as she want, continuously kind of suffers the blows of misogyny and sexism um, in relation to how her life unfolds versus her brother. And there's a twist at the end that I don't want to ruin it. Um, but this was a really, really captivating book with a surprising amount of humour and wit. Um, so I think, you know, people who wouldn't normally pick up genre fiction would really enjoy this. Um, another, there another two novels on the list. Um, one is Stone Sky Gold Mountain by Mirandi Ruo. And this is a book that really captivated me because it's a take on um, Australia's kind of early colonial history that I don't think we've read a lot of. It tells the stories of two siblings who come from China to Australia during the Gold Rush and kind of their experience of colonial Australia and really looks at gender and sexuality and race and class and conflict in a way that is um, very empathetic, um, full of detail. It Really, the sense and the sounds kind of leap off the page. Um, It's brilliant and, again, not something that um, I think is covered very much in Australian literature, so it makes a really important addition to our canon. Um, And the last novel on the list is Evie Wilde, The Bass Rock. This is a book that's actually set in the UK, and The Bass Rock is a kind of famous landmark in Scotland, It's a really fascinating approach to structure. So there's three narratives that kind of weave around each other set in different periods of time, but all of them look at the kind of the violence and the the misogyny that make up the lives of of these three women um, that are at the center of the story. But even though that sounds really dark, and there are a lot of darker elements of this book, um, again, there's this kind of depth to these characters and this wit and surprising humor that comes through. So it's a much warmer experience of reading um, than that description might suggest. I mentioned Witness earlier, which is by journalist Louise Milligan. This is an incredible book. It really shows the power of investigative journalism and the way that that can actually be extended and turned into a very literary work. So it's nonfiction. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it makes a lot of really important points. And the last book on the shortlist is Sabin, The World in the Whale by Rebecca Giggs. Um, this is an incredible book of nature writing. It really is about the whale um, and the world that the whale uh, holds for us in our imagination, but also how society and humans um, connect with this amazing creature that's so mythical and magical for us. But it also talks a lot about the environment and our place in it and climate change. So it's a beautifully written book. It's very literary um, in style. I think her writing and her technique um, are just beautiful but it's one that will definitely make the reader think a lot as well about themselves and the world around us. So it's a really diverse, um, incredible list.
1: Absolutely uh, it, they sound phenomenal and um and I love uh, how broad they all seem in order to um get people reading outside the box of what they normally would. That's what I really love about it as well and you would mentioned the word just then diversity. it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. How is diversity expressed in in a literary realm? is it Is it the writer's genealogy or their style, their subject matter or their lived experiences?
0: It's a bit of everything, really. I know that for us, when we were looking at kind of the spread of books and the um, the diversity of the lists, we were really taking into consideration a lot of things. So um, as well as looking at the kind of diversity of the writers' identities and subject positions, a really big thing for us was making sure that we were also looking cross-genre and cross-literary styles. So, you know, typically um, there can be a little bit of an assumption that literary prizes will only look at literary fiction um, of a certain kind, whereas... Stella tries um, and I think achieves the goal of being more um, open minded than that. And there's always kind of some genre fiction. Um, There was a young adult novel, Middlefish Falling Snow um, by Kath Moore, in the long list. Um, Revenge is a good example of a book that um, maybe isn't considered like typically literary in the same way, um, but is absolutely a feat of literature. So we try and kind of turn off some of those assumptions that people have about what is prize worthy. Um, and really take it back to that three, um, those three criteria of original, excellent and engaging. And as a result of that, I think the diversity um, and the representation on the long list is about a lot more than um, just identity and subject position, although that is a big part of it as well. So, you know, we want to show that there's uh, depth and variety to Australian literature, um, and I think we do definitely accomplish that.
1: Oh, it absolutely sounds like it. Do you think um, contemporary Australian novels... You know, covering uh, covering the zeitgeists of today, or, or are they more so a writer's playground for whatever you know propels them or excites them to write?
0: I don't think that writers can ever write in a vacuum. So you know, inevitably the zeitgeist of the day does feed into it, and you can definitely see trends emerging. I think an interesting example would be um, on the long list. We have A Lonely Girl Is a Dangerous Thing by Jessie Chu, and I feel as if that book. Um, Is really falling in the tradition that's um, quite popular at the moment, or tradition is probably a um, a generous word considering (laughs) it's quite recent. Um, But this trend of kind of young women being typified in a more like dysfunctional, edgy, um, dark way um, than might have occurred in literature say twenty or thirty years ago, and you can see that in like Sally Rooney's Normal People. You can see it um, in other books that have come out over the past. Two or three years, Nisha Dolan's um, Exciting Times is another good example of this. And I have noticed that being a trend. um, And I wonder how much that has to do with things like the Me Too movement uh, taking off and this kind of fourth wave of feminism um, that very much my generation has been part of. So there are things like that that I think you can kind of pick out, especially when you read a huge number of books for something like this. You start seeing some trends in kind of style and technique as well as subject matter come through. Um, But at the same time, you know, some of these books are so unique um, and so experimental, like The Bathrock is a good example of this, where just the style and um, the techniques that she uses for the structure are really, really different from a lot of what I've read before. So there's always an element of, um, like, new, inventive, exciting thinking, but I do think that context um, kind of creeps in regardless.
1: Yeah, I would think so. You must get very excited when you read. <laughs> this is the um, the second year the prize has been open to trans women and, and non-binary writers as well as cis women. How important is it, do you think, that writers are recognised for their own voice and their own authenticity?
0: I think it's fundamental to writing. Um, you know, I say this as a writer myself, I um, couldn't write in any voice other than my own, um, and inherently, you know, all of the experiences that we have um, feed into that, whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction. So, you know, the cellar has always been at the forefront of change and um, innovative in that way, and it's um, it makes complete sense that our position on gender is that, you know, gender identity is not just about a body, um, and that's why it's so important that when we are talking about gender equality in literature, we're recognising that trans women, non-binary people, gender diverse people, um, all experience different challenges um, and barriers to their participation um, in the literary industry that, you know, has been structured around a um, majority white male authorial voice for a really long time. So I think it's fundamentally very important, but I also think it's, um, it's reflective of readers today too. Readers want to see diversity. Readers want to see a literary canon that reflects their realities um, and that's something that should inherently be part of um, any literary prize, the or literary organisation's mission.
1: Absolutely. The Stella is um, such an extraordinary and, and uniquely Australian uh, prize. Are there others out there around the world as well that sort of stand in the, in the same stead?
0: There are definitely other prizes that look specifically at women's writing. Um, There's a uh, Women's Prize for Literature in the UK, which I believe used to be the Orange Prize, for example. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, Australia, sometimes we really situate ourselves in this kind of European context, even though we're certainly located in the Asia-Pacific. And so for a long time, it's really been about these, you know, big international prizes like the Booker and what I've noticed over the kind of last decade is that there's been a renewed focus and um, an interest in the impact that local prices can make, and the stellar is um, a really big part of that, and I've noticed that um, you know other big Australian prizes like the Miles franklin um, are also trying to um, innovate and be more modern and more diverse. so I think it's not just about having individual prizes that specifically focus on an area of um, of you know marginalisation or Um, on a minority group of writers, it's really important that these big mainstream prizes also recognise the impact that they can make with a heightened kind of awareness of where the inequalities might lie or who isn't in the room.
1: Absolutely and uh, and along with that of course comes you know wonderful uh donors and philanthropists and and funding and reward for uh writers and artists for their work which isn't just coming through a publishing house but but from those people who are um you know recognizing their literary credit through through you know award systems as well as as well as people reading their books
0: yeah,
1: completely. Absolutely. Now, listen, you have been described as a feminist wonderkind. That's really <laughs> nice. I love that. As a uh, as a teenager, you set up the website Feminazi, an online feminist arts and literature journal. Um, my husband's a playwright. And he went, oh, my God, I know it. So, uh, and <laughs> I just kind of went, you know, it's, you've got such a, a wonderful scope to yourself. You've been the editor-in-chief of, of Lit Magazine before. You've studied gender studies at ANU. But, but you are... You know, clearly not defined by any of these. What does it mean for you to be a writer, and does that correlate with what it means for you to be a feminist and a voice for gender transparency and equality?
0: I think um, that's. Thank you very much. That's very flattering. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I, I founded Feminazi when I was in my twenties. But I was the. Um, I had started writing for Lit when I was a teenager. I think that comes up sometimes. Somebody must have gotten it wrong in an article one time. Um, um, but I wish I was that cool when I was a teenager. <laughs> um, I definitely think that those facets of my identity are actually kind of deeply rooted in my values. So I can't really extricate my feminism um, or my belief in kind of racial equality or my um, passion for you know human rights, social justice, or animal welfare from my writing. It just kind of seeps in and feminism in particular for me it's such a grounding philosophy and being about equality it does you know factor into every element of my work and definitely my writing I think balancing that isn't something I've ever really thought about because it feels very natural to me to have that lens kind of present I definitely find with writing particularly once you're published in a commercial sense so you know my book No Country Woman came out a couple of years ago through Hachette and it's a memoir of race and feminism and religion because of that i sometimes do feel like there's an expectation that i'm always going to write about big issues big topics and i often joke with my agent that you know i'm gonna to have to come up with a really clever pseudonym for when i want to write um a fantasy novel or, <laughs> or crime fiction or something really random it. so
1: that's fantastic so um what is the uh what's the announcing date for the finalist of the uh, 2021 Stella prize
0: It will be announced on the 22nd of April, so not long now. Um, We don't want to keep people on the shortlist waiting around for too long to find out um, who the winner is, so that's very exciting
1: absolutely that's wonderful listen Zoya it's been really fabulous chatting to you thank you so much for um for coming on to backstory today um, you've been a wealth of information and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you so uh, everybody keep your eyes out for those that are on uh, the long list the short list and soon to be announced finalist of the 2021 stellar prize go out there and buy one or two or three and have a read and challenge yourself to read something outside of what you you normally would. Zoe Patel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Bye. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7.
0: Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.